You guys doing? Okay, how many of you have had a test so far? Like everyone. How many of you are taking tests this week? Congratulations, man. Hey, let me just, I, I, want, I do want to say good job for actually making time to hang out with Jesus tonight. You know, I think you know, a lot of times in life we get busy, and I get it, you know, life is busy, life comes up and stuff, but don't get in the habit of missing your time with Jesus. There are a lot of things that you can cut out in life, you know, cut back maybe on Facebook a little bit or a lot of bit. Uh, some of you can cut out some Fortnite, and guess what? Your life will get better. <laughs> Time to deal with it, Aaron. Yes, you're. Uh... But let me just tell you, cutting out time with Jesus will never, ever benefit you. And I know the Lord pretty well. He's a good guy. If you honor Him, and you actually study, guess what? God will honor you. He will take care of you. It's part of that whole putting your trust into God's hands. And so, make time for him. He'll take care of you. That's the end of my public service announcement. Okay. So, whoa, all right. It's like Girl Keenan up front. All right. All right. Once you get him started, it's a little bit trouble. All right. Hey. Uh, for those of you that were not here last week, or for those of you that have already forgotten about what we talked about last week, uh, I want to do just a quick review. Last week, we addressed the question, why change? Uh, honestly, a lot of young Christians struggle with this question in their lives. And a lot of people, they, they kind of fall to one of two sides, either they think they already have this Christianity thing figured out and they are good the way they are, or they'll never be good enough for God, so why even try? You see, both are lies from Satan that a lot of us, we buy into. And when we do that, it leaves us feeling empty, kind of worthless, and even unfulfilled by our Christianity. And so last week, to kind of begin to answer that question, we looked at the story of the rich young ruler. Quick little plug here. If you do happen to miss service, we do record these things. You can go to our website, MizzouXA.com, go to Talks, and click on them and listen to the messages so you can kind of stay up with what's going on. But... As we talked about last week, this guy had everything a young person could have wanted. He had money. He had power. He had influence. He was able to do all these things that most people strive their whole lives for. He was able to do them by his 20s. He even had what most people would assume was a good spiritual life and yet when we look at the story we see that it leaves him empty in every part of his life that's why he goes and searches after jesus for help and jesus 
he takes some time and he challenges this young man's understanding of what it means to be good. He helps him to understand that you can't earn your way into heaven. And he told him that his attachment to his possessions needed to be replaced with an attachment to him. You see, Jesus wanted a true relationship with God and with him. Unfortunately, we saw last week that uh, the story ends in kind of a sad way. The man chooses his wealth, the junk in his life, over a relationship with his creator. But Jesus didn't end the story there. You see, he actually ends it on a pretty high note. And this is kind of where I want to pick up from last week and transition into our message for this evening. You see, this is the point, after the young man walks away, that Jesus turns to his disciples and tells them, it's hard for a wealthy person to get into heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the head of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to get into heaven. Once again, wealth includes money, but it not, isn't limited to money. It's anything that takes up real estate in your life that causes you not to have a relationship with your creator. And when you look in the word, it's that most translation, translations say that the disciples were amazed and they were astounded at what Jesus was saying. And uh, you will learn, if you hang with us here, that sometimes translations lose something, lose a bit of the meaning going from like the original Hebrew or the original Greek into English. English is a pretty base language. There are a lot of languages that have a lot more detailed words. And so if you would actually look at this and what was happening, a better translation would be that the disciples were frightened. They were afraid of what Jesus was saying. And it goes on to say that they were blown away by the words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. The disciples were freaked out, okay? And let me explain why. You see, at this time, most people believed that God showed who he was pleased with through material blessings. So basically, if you are rich, God likes you. He's pleased with you. You're a good person. But if you are poor or you're sick, God was punishing you for some sin that you committed. You might not even know what that is. You see, the disciples wrongly assumed that rich equaled right standing with God. And that's why this whole situation with the rich young ruler was so confusing and down, downright frightening to them. I can imagine that those guys who were poor, who came from nothing, were probably looking at the rich young ruler and saying, this guy's better than me. God likes him more than me. If he can't get into heaven, what chance do I have? But you see, Jesus was there to correct them. Correcting is not a bad thing. 
Jesus wants them to understand the truth. And he wants the same thing for us. See, that's a major part of why we are focusing on discipleship this semester. And why we're looking at Jesus hanging out with his disciples. We want to clear up any misunderstandings that you have about Jesus and our Heavenly Father. You know, as we joked around with Tyler last week, it's hard to follow him when you can't clearly see him or you misunderstand who you're trying to follow. And so the Bible says that he turns to his disciples and he intently looked at them, or intensely. Have you ever had someone intensely? Aaron has creepy eyes, intensely <laughs> staring. He, he does, he knows, it's cool. But like he, it's like those piercing things, like into your soul, it's like, stop looking at me, okay? I have to imagine... That's what Jesus was like with his disciples. He looked at them. There are times with my daughter, I want her attention. And so I'm like, look at me. It scares her a little bit. I'm good at that stuff. <laughs> but that's, Jesus wants them to understand. You see, Jesus is about to drop a fundamental truth on them, and he, he wants them not only hear what he's about to say, he wants them to understand what he's about to say. And when I say a fundamental truth, fun word, fundamental truth, I'm talking about a major point of discipleship that is essential to our spiritual foundation being strong. You don't have these things, you're never going to stand strong in your relationship with God. Things like, God loves us unconditionally. Jesus is the way to salvation. He's the only way to the Father. God is right. That's fundamental too. God's ways are better than our ways we got to have a good foundation. If we don't, we're going down. We do play this fun little game in the spring, freshman, uh, called Flamingo Football. It's full tackle football, guys against girls. But the guys have to be on one foot the whole time. And so, balance is not great. Kind of, you fall over a lot. And back in the day when I was in much better shape, I played every once in a while. And I remember I lined up against one of my staff people. And I I played like three downs with against her. And I look at her, I go, so Missy, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> like, as soon as they hike the ball, I'm going to push you to the side. We're gonna, I'm going to have you take out the next person next to you, and I'm going to get the quarterback. And she looks at me and goes, she's like, Tom, I'm not that weak, okay? You're on one foot. What, there's no way this is going to happen. I'm like, it's happening, Missy. I'm just telling you, this is going down. And as soon as the ball hiked, I shoved her out of the way. She <laughs> took out the person next to her. Me and the guy next to slowly hopped towards the quarterback, and we got her. And we got back to line, and she's like, Tom, how did you know you could do that? I'm like, I'm, you're, nothing against you, but you're not like super strong or anything. I'm like, I'm like you're right, Miss. The, the point is, I've watched you the last couple plays, and you stand with your feet together, going like this. You're just a big weeble wobble, basically. <laughs> so, 
one good, all I have to do is lean on you, and because your feet are so close together, you go down. She didn't have a strong foundation. It was weak. The same thing applies to her spiritual life. That's how Satan shoves us out of the way. If we, are not, if we're, we don't have a good stance, if we don't have a good foundation, he's coming through us. And so Jesus drops this fundamental truth on them. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Everything's probable. Everything most likely, maybe, no, everything is possible. You see, my God doesn't do things halfway. Please, yeah, so wake up. I know you got tests. Come on. Our God doesn't do things halfway. He does things with a level of excellence that we need to understand in our lives. Thank you. Blaze to the rescue again. All right. I don't know about you, but this sounds like the kind of life I want. I want the excellent life. I want the best life. But I want the best life according to Jesus. In this fundamental truth, I personally believe that the word with is the key word. How do we have an excellent life? With God. How do we have this life that the world would consider impossible? With God. And when you look at the word with, it means to come from. And not just from some far off source, but from a connection to that source. To be joined with God. You see, everything is possible when we are connected to God. For the rich young ruler, his attachment was to his possessions. And it needed to be replaced with the attachment to Jesus. That's the same is true for each of us. We are struggling in a day and age where things are not getting better. It's one of those tough uh, analogies that, you know, we, the kingdom of Jesus is advancing, but things are also getting worse. And even for your generation, things are getting worse. In the past five years, anxiety and depression in your age group is at an all-time high. And things aren't getting better. 
And yet we live in a world where you should be happy. You guys live in a time and an age that there's more happiness than ever before. You have more stuff. You have more money. You have more resources. You have cars. You got the iPhone X. You got anything you want at your disposal at any moment. And yet, people are unhappier than they ever have before. And it seems like the pursuit of happiness has left so many people empty inside. And yet, that's not just true of today. You see, look at the rich young ruler. He had everything that his world had to offer, and it left him empty inside. And he just wanted to be happy. What we need to be rich and have a full life can only come from our connection to the Lord. And there's a verse in the Bible that I've always thought sounded very similar to this foundational truth that we're looking at here. And yet, a little different. The one in Mark here, Mark 10, 27, everything is possible with God. If you jump over to John 15, 5, it's, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Same coin, opposite side. And this verse is from a section which is commonly known as the vine and the branches found in John 15. Tonight, I want us to look at this text because I believe it further explains in detail how to be more connected with Jesus and in turn to fully live. And so let me kind of set it up for you here. This story takes place towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus and his disciples are having what comes to be known as the Last Supper. Jesus gathers his guys together. They go upstairs. He gets up. He washes the disciples' feet. That is a whole message in itself. They eat. He tells them that someone in this room is going to betray him. He tells Peter that you're going to deny me. And then he goes on to tell them that their teacher and friend is going to be leaving. After he drops all of this on them at dinner, he abruptly ends the dinner and says, alright, it's time to go. Come follow me. And I can imagine the disciples are sitting there like, where are we going? It's nighttime. There's no, nothing open right now. And so Jesus gets, gets up and leads his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you're familiar with the story, you know that's where the place where Judas betrays Jesus and he's arrested. From there he goes to the cross. We've already learned a few things about Jesus this semester. One, he loves change. Jesus is an agent of change. He came to change you and I and the world that we live in. He may be the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he likes change. 
we also learn that Jesus really likes to ask people questions. Over 300 recorded in the New Testament. Here's another fact you got to know about Jesus. Jesus loves to road trip, okay? He does. We talked about the first week how a road trip encourages intimacy because you're stuck in a car with someone for so long. Jesus loved to walk and talk with his disciples. They did that a lot in their three years of ministry. Do you know how far Jesus and his disciples walked? It's estimated that in three years of ministry, Jesus walked 30, over 3,100 miles. That's a long way. I imagine Jesus was in pretty good shape. And that's a lot of walking. But yet, man, I bet they had some great conversations. John makes it very clear that all the miracles and all the stuff that Jesus taught couldn't fit in a thousand, all the books in the world. The wisdom that they got to hear, the teaching, the intimacy. Man, that'd be awesome. And yet, that special experience is coming to an end. And here's Jesus who is trying at the last minute to impart some more truths to his disciples that he knew that they would have to cling to when he was gone. In Mark 10, the disciples are freaking out because Jesus blows up their world and Jesus has just dropped a few more bombs that would once again wreck the disciples' world and cause them to panic. And so Jesus is trying to help them out as best as he can. He tells them in this walking conversation how to have a full and productive life as his disciples. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I got a lot of help with this message. I don't know about you, but you know I've been doing ministry a while, and there are times that you know, I'm like, Okay, I've read this like section or chapter like a million times. No big deal. I'll be able to handle it just fine. Occasionally, you realize as you dig into stuff how little you really know. That's what I came up against with this one. Uh, Jesus is deep, man. I mean, he, he, he doesn't just throw stuff out. I mean, there's, he's, he's the onion, level, uh, layer after layer after layer of stuff that you can pull out. And so, I talked to other ministers, I read concordances, I read commentaries, I, I, I went to like 50 different places trying to understand the spiritual side of the section. And so thank you for each, everyone that helped me there. Here's the problem too. I needed help on the spiritual side, but this is also an agricultural metaphor. I'm from Detroit. Okay, I've always lived in a city. The only time I've seen a farm is when I'm going to a hayride or driving to another city. I know nothing about plants. And while my wife is good at so many things, anything plant-related is not one of them. I like to joke that she is the grim reaper of plants. 
plants come to our house to die, okay? <laughs> we have managed to kill a cactus, dead. A bamboo plant, it's just a shoot, we killed it. We had a student who was an ag major that she hand grew a poinsettia for a year and gave it to us at Christmas and we killed it in two weeks. <laughs> and it's not, we're not abusing these things. I don't, I just don't know, we're just, we're bad, okay? And so I had to go read a whole bunch of articles about ag stuff. I feel like I had to take a 4-H class to understand some basics. Um, I had to talk to some of our 4-H experts. Thanks, Michaela, Marta, you guys are awesome. Um, I had to read articles online. Thank you, uh, New Orleans uh, Home and Garden Journal. Make things easy. <laughs> that, that helped out a lot. And uh, dummies.com comes in handy, too. Um, and so I think I got a better understanding. And so in my layman's terms, I'm going to try to explain some of the stuff that Jesus is explaining. Once again, Jesus smart, Tom not. Okay. <laughs> Let me, I'm going to get started. I'm not, I'm going to read the first couple of verses and then we'll kind of go from there. Uh, starting verse 1, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more, even more fruit. Okay, just so we understand. In the Old Testament, the vine was always represented by the nation of Israel. And basically, the Israelites, the Jewish people, believed that they were good with God as long as they were related to their father Abraham. Jesus showed up. Things change. Jesus had to break this misconception in their lives before he left. You say, in this first verse, he was saying to the disciples, no, Israel's not the true vine. I am the true vine. You need to be related to me, attached to me. And this is the same problem that we have. There are times that we attach ourselves to the wrong thing. Let me tell you, having a kid is like illustration gold. I like wait for her to do dumb stuff so I can tell you guys. It's wonderful. <laughs> Keep her safe though, don't worry. Just, just enough to make a good story. But like a year ago, at, we were at Silver Dollar City, my favorite place in the world to go. Oh, so many people. Um, but we were down there, nice, hot, sweaty day and stuff. And, you know, Taylor, I love her to death, but she doesn't always stay with us. And I get tired of running after her because I'm old and stuff. And so if I can see her, I'm happy. And, you know, so she's kind of off doing her thing, looking at stuff, wandering around. And she just is in her own little world. It's like she kind of spaced out. And she's in front of us, you know, and we've we got her eye on her and stuff. And she's just kind of looking around. And there's a guy in front of us that, you know, she's short. But we have the same color shorts on. And so she all of a sudden kind of cozies up to him. And she's like looking around and just takes his hand. <laughs> and the guy, dude, guy's like, whoa, 
You were not mine. Okay. <laughs> and it, 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 it stunned her. Didn't scare her, but it kind of stunned like, Who are you? You're not my dad. And so I come wandering up like, what you doing, Taylor? <laughs> you, you trying to replace me, man? And it's like, like, I just bought you food. Come on. And so she's like, I, 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 I thought that was you. And I'm like, well, it wasn't, honey. Yeah, I'm, I'm your daddy. <laughs> All right. Here's the thing. I think sometimes in life, we don't know where our Heavenly Father is and we attach ourselves to the wrong dad. In the story, the father is the gardener. And the gardener is the owner. you got to understand, no one cares more about his property, his vines, his branches, his fruit, more than the owner. I mean, no one invests their time, their energy, their money and efforts hoping that they're going to fail. They want to do everything they can to succeed. Uh, let me ask a question here. Based on verse 2. What happens to you? What happens to you if you're unproductive? You get cut. What happens to you if you are productive? You get cut. Either way, God's going to cut you. Okay. It's a fact. <laughs> and here's the thing: I think we sometimes see God as. Well, th okay, this isn't a prison movie. God is not the big scary guy named God on the other side of the yard that's going to come over and shank you. Okay? God, I don't know where my mind goes. It happens. <laughs> I, sometimes when I was younger, I see God as kind of aggressive and kind of mean. That's not who He is. He's the gardener who is gentle and loving and kind, and yet He wants to cut us for our own benefit. You see, there are two kinds of cuts that God wants to make. One, the first cut is when we have, I'm gonna, I hope this is the ag term. The, I, I, Michaela, no. It's when we have suckers in our life. Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> Yes, most people aren't Aggie people either. They're not going to know. Okay. Basically, when I say suckers, they're branches that come out of the root system that were not designed or they're unable to bear fruit. They might be able to make a ton of leaves, but they're not producing fruit. They will take up a lot of energy, but they produce nothing. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus goes over to a fig tree. It looks like it should have fruit in it. It has leaves everywhere, and yet it had nothing. And then Jesus curses it, and it dies. Here's the thing. We don't want suckers in our lives draining us of our energy. We need to think about the parts of our lives that are fruitless, that take a lot of time, that take a lot of energy, but they don't produce anything that's long-lasting. That doesn't produce anything significant or important. God wants us to free, God wants to free up that energy source, those nutrients, and put it in the right place. 
You see, for the rich young ruler, it was his wealth. It was his religion. For each of us, we have some kind of sucker in our life that God wants to cut out. And the second kind of cut that God makes is pruning. You see, the fruitful get cut too. When winter comes and the plant is done bearing fruit, God cuts it back so it can grow more vigorously the next season. Please keep in mind, God likes rest. In the Old Testament, he commanded a day of Sabbath. The punishment for not taking Sabbath, death. That was intense. You will rest in me. See, there's a time for producing and a time for withdrawing, resting, and preparing for what God has next. See, I always try to encourage our staff, and I try to encourage our leadership too, summer is your time. He wants you to cut back. He wants you to spend extra time with him, preparing and resting for the next season so that we can be even more fruitful. And yet most of us, me included, are not good at doing that. We constantly go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, keeping ourselves so busy we have every bit of energy sucked out of us and we aren't producing godly fruit. Let God cut you in preparation for what He has next. Let me just say, don't worry, I'm not going verse by verse through the whole chapter tonight. One, that's a lot of verses. Two, this is actually probably one of those chapters that it's kind of better to kind of go like thought by thought, because there's a, Jesus has got thoughts here. And especially when Jesus come, keeps on coming back to the same thoughts over and over and over again. My older students, you've heard this before. Everything Jesus says is important, Correct. When Jesus repeats himself multiple times, you really need to pay attention to what he's trying to say. And that's kind of the first thought that Jesus keeps on referring to is the idea of remaining in this chapter. It also happens to be uh, our first key to actually living fully with God. You see in verse 4, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. In verse 5, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask, for anything you want and it will be granted and then verse 9 and 10 I have loved you even as the father has loved me remain in my love when you obey my commandments you remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love you see when we look at this we probably think that remaining means to kind of hang out with Jesus. And make no doubt, that is a part of it. Jesus wants us to spend time with him. But, like most things Jesus talks about, there's more to it. Uh, quick question again. What do the disciples do for a living? 
this is, I'm not trying to mess with you, man. It's okay. I heard fishermen. They were fishermen. That is very true. They were fishermen because they lived next to a big lake. That's kind of what you do. It's not like they had many career choices back in the day. They didn't get to go to college. They, they were not in that kind of place. They would fish, and their day started early. They'd get up at like 2 o'clock in the morning and start fishing. I know that's early, but let's face it, when there's no electricity, you go to bed early too. And so these guys, they would fish till dawn, but they didn't just stop their day there. You see, as we talked about, they're, they're not rich. They're poor. They have to survive. And so these guys, they would go home. And most people at the time at least had a small farm. You see, when Jesus says remaining, or maybe your Bible says abiding, he's actually referring to a farming techniques that, technique that the disciples would have known. And if you don't understand the technique, which I did not, you don't fully understand what Jesus is trying to say. See, when they hear remain, Jesus, or when they hear Jesus say remain, the disciples think of the agricultural meaning of grafting a plant. See, when we say to, excuse me, Jesus says to live fully, we need to remain or be grafted to him. He put up the photo of a tree. This is a grafting a tree. Yeah, there we go. So basically, a graft, I'm going to read this because this is the technical stuff, <laughs> is when a rootstock, the main thing on the bottom there, a superior plant is wounded deeply, and then the branch is cut on both sides, cleaned, is inserted deeply into the rootstock, and bound together. Might not mean a ton to us. Let me put it in some terms. Rich young ruler, let's modernize him a little bit. He's got all the cars, he's got the, ex, the phone, he's got girls, he's got everything, and yet, is he happy? Because it's not his true calling in life. Uh, one of my friends, one pastor friend of, my, of mine put it this way. Nothing you own and nothing you do on your own will connect you with your purpose. I wish that was mine. I really do. <laughs> nothing you own and nothing you do on your own will connect you with your purpose. You see, if you don't connect with your Creator, you will be anxious, you will be depressed, and lost amongst all your stuff. And so, why do we graft? This is New Orleans Home and Garden. You find a superior tree. If you find a superior tree, grafting allows that efficient creation of thousands of trees with those exact superior characteristics. Grafting, that wasn't that funny, okay. 
Grafting allows us to create genetic duplicates of the superior individual plants. It also causes the ability to produce the most fruit, resist disease, and survive harsh conditions. This is like a biblical commentary for plants, man. I'm just telling you. <laughs> and so, why does Jesus refer to grafting? Because Jesus wants to make disciples. He wants to make duplicates of himself down to our DNA. He wants us to have his superior characteristics. He wants us to have what the Father gave him and put into us to help us to be stronger, to be more resistant, to survive and thrive and to have a full life. You need to understand something. We are not meant to produce fruit on our own. That's not the purpose of a branch. And it's not our purpose either. You see, the rich young ruler was trying to produce his own fruit through his actions, his obedience to the law, through his wealth. He was attempting to give his life meaning. And yet he was empty. We're not meant to produce fruit ourselves. We are meant to bear fruit. There's a difference. You see, we produce fruit by getting into Christ. By getting our nutrients, by getting our strength, by getting our characteristics. And when we do, when we get deep into Him and our roots go deep into who He is, that is when we will bear godly fruit. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Going back to our journal friend again. All right. There are some requirements for a fruitful graft. The first one is a careful cut where you separate from the old roots. Do we got a picture of that? Yes, no, I don't know. Oh, yeah. See, the tree, they cut each side. You've got to cut it away from the old plant. Obviously, you can't graft something if it's still connected to the old life it lived. Biblically, we're the same way. Wet salvation, God cuts us away from the old junk that we are. so that we can be close to Him. The second requirement for a fruitful graft is cleaning the joint. Basically, cleaning that cut. you got to wash off obstructions. You see, a lot of times we, we don't like cuts because they hurt, but guess what? Cuts don't lead to death. They actually lead to cell division. If you put the branches together, do we have another picture, Cars? Uh, just leave that one up, phone. That's fine. If you put the branches together, they form a bond that's stronger than the original material. But that bond's going to be weak if there is dirt in between the two pieces of wood because then the cells can't 
grow together correctly. When they're correctly, when it's done correctly, it's strong. You can't separate them. When the bond is not right, they're weak and easily fall apart. You see, a lot of times we feel weak and unfulfilled because there is impurity between us and Jesus. There's stuff. There's sin. There's junk that we just don't, I don't know what's wrong with my relationship with Jesus. You've got to look and make sure there are no impurities. Let's start there. The next step in a fruitful grafting is concrete bonding. Basically, it's attaching the root, new root, attaching the branch to the new root source. Nowadays, they got grafting tape or wax. Back in the day, they just kind of tied it up and stuff. And then you also have to clear away things. You got to expect to prune the old material. The twigs need to be taken off so that the new nutrients can grow from there. You see, when Jesus says, remain in me, it means attach yourself to Christ's message and his method. We're not called to be associated with God. We're called to be attached to Jesus. To make his words, his teachings, the primary definition for our lives. And here's the thing. I'm not just talking about the idea. I'm talking about the man, the methods. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he attached himself to 12 guys. If Jesus did it, how much more should we? I mean, that's why we push life groups so hard. We love them. Yay. Look at that. Oh, there's some boys. Yeah. Life groups. This is where we can be strong together to lean on each other. To live like Jesus did. And so, we need to do what Jesus did by remaining. And here's the thing, when you start remaining in Him or abiding, things will begin to change in your lives. You'll see it in different areas, but relating to this section, uh, one change that happens is that your moral compass actually goes up and you start making better decisions. The more you hang with Jesus, the better decisions you will make. For a long time in college and stuff, I didn't serve the Lord, even after college. I did my own thing. I partied. I lived the way I want to live. And I finally got to a point I was sick and tired of that life. And I ended up basically hanging out with Jesus for a year. Just him, me, pulled back from friends just so I could focus on him. And one day I got a call from one of my friends after about six months, and he's like, hey, Tom, we're hanging out at this bar. Why don't you just come over? You don't have to drink. You don't have to do anything. Just come hang out with us. And so when I went over there, and a whole bunch of people were sitting there and stuff and just talking, and they're like, Tom, I'll... I'll I'll buy you a drink. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. Oh, come on. We won't tell anyone. It's no big deal and stuff. And it's like, you know what? I, I could. I could do something that 
led me to get in trouble many times. I could get away with doing something. I didn't want to get away with stuff anymore. And in that moment, I felt the Lord say, I don't want you here anymore. You aren't grafted to this world anymore. You are grafted to me. And I said my goodbyes. And they're like, oh, you'll be back. I ain't coming back. And that was the last time I ever went there. You make better decisions when you hang out with the Lord. You see, when you remain with Him, you become more sensitive to obedience. See, the second key, and these last two points are quick. Don't worry, I will be very quick. Second key to living fully is obey. Put godliness over gratification. Verse 10, how do you remain in His love? When you obey My commandments, you remain in My love, just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in His love. And please understand, this is not obedience out of religion like the rich young ruler, but out of a sincere love for our Savior. You see, I love my wife. And if she asks me to do something, I honor her request because she is special to me. And I want to make her happy because I love her. I serve her and want to make her happy because she loves me. I've watched a lot of people do some stupid stuff to make someone happy that they love. Why shouldn't we do stupid stuff to make our Savior happy? There's a theologian named Bob Utley. He puts it like this, the condition for intimacy is obedience. You don't feel close to God. There's going to be a couple of reasons. Start with looking at your obedience. Having a hard time obeying God. Maybe you need to look at your attachment to Him. You see, being attached means seeking godliness over contentment. And guess what? When you seek godliness over contentment, you get both. And yet, without God, we seek after contentment so hard, we leave ourselves depressed. And the final key to living fully is sacrifice. Giving yourself away to others. Verses 12 and 13, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' love is a chosen, intentional, sacrificial love. I, I, it just it worked out really well. Every week our uh, national director sends out a weekly video. And in this video, he talked about the three kinds of love most often mentioned in the Bible. You got eros, that's basically the romantic love. You got philia, which where Philadelphia comes from, brotherly love. 
that's a great kind of love. That's where you have a good time. That's where you start building community. It's where guys are going out, shooting guns, playing some football together. It's where girls are doing sleepovers and <laughs> playing football with each other. I don't know. Girl stuff. All right. Uh, whatever. Yes. It is a great place to start. That's how we get to know people at the beginning of the year. you got to start somewhere. But it's really, really easy to stay at that level. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do, though. Agape. God's deep, sacrificial love. You see, it's more than just hanging out with someone. It's a willingness to die for someone. In his life, in his death, Jesus always lived for others. And guess what? Jesus is calling us to model our lives after his in every way. He's telling the disciples, if you never lose yourself, you'll never live. In one of the commentaries I read, it has a funny but very true uh, meaning. You never see a tree eat its own fruit, right? You never see a cannibal tree. You never see an apple pick itself. Mm, I'm good. That tastes like chicken. All right. I roll sometimes here. I just sometimes I it's it's a home run. Sometimes swing miss. You know you roll with it. It's all good. But the tree, here's the thing. Fruit is for other people. We need to be fruitful people with delicious, beautiful, excellent fruit that's meant to be given away. I'm just telling you, the happiest people in the world are the ones that give themselves away and give freely. The tightwads, the people that hoard... They're not happy. Jesus teaches us to give ourselves away. And so what does it take to be happy, fulfilled, alive? Remain. Obey. Sacrifice. And guess what? You do all these things, your life's going to be perfect, right? No. Oh, no. No. I. Uh, no. People will hate you. Verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. As the great scholar and theologian Taylor Swift once said, the haters are going to hate, 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 hate. Uh, I feel dirty after saying that. Ugh, all right. Here's the thing, though, guys. In the world we live in, people are hurt. They're miserable. They have fatigue. 
They are fruitless. They are worn out. They have tried everything. And guess what? Because they are that way and they see fruit in your life, they will hate you. Welcome to reality. Jesus shoots you straight. In this life, there will always be opposition. Make sure it's the right kind for the right reason. You're not going to be accepted by everyone. Jesus, the Son of God, was not accepted by everyone. But make sure you are accepted by the one who can make us truly alive. You can't have everything. The rich young ruler wanted everything of the world and of God. We can have everything through God by giving up the world. And so we, needed, we need to attach ourselves to Him. Go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes.